All right, so in our passage today, Paul's gonna address a problem that if we're honest, we all deal with at some level uh, during our lives. And the problem, of course, is the problem of anxiety. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, do not be anxious about anything. In other words, don't worry. He also said, rejoice in the Lord always. In other words, be happy. In essence, Paul said to the Philippians, don't worry, be happy. Now, does that remind anybody of a certain song? <laughs> right? So back in 1988, can you believe how old we're all getting? Back in 1988, a song was released by that name that quickly became a huge hit. And so millions of people in America and Britain fell in love uh, with this catchy tune, which by the way had some catchy phrases um, as well. Do you guys remember some of these lyrics? Here's a little song I wrote. You might wanna sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. Yes, I'm hearing it. I've been waiting to hear uh, somebody sing this back to me now for three services. How about this one? Uh, in every life we have some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. Yes, man, this service is going on the internet. It's been decided. And so I think um, the reason that so many people love that song so much is because we're sick and tired of worrying. I mean, we're so tired of always worrying about all this stuff in our lives, and it's because anxiety and stress really take a real toll on our lives. When, we're really, when we really think about this, right? Anxiety, which by the way, I'm gonna use worry and anxiety interchangeably today. And so anxiety and stress, uh, it affects us negatively when we're talking about mentally, physically, emotionally, behaviorally. Um, listen to this. Mentally, anxiety and stress can lead to forgetfulness, trouble concentrating, confusion, and poor decision making. Physically, it can lead to muscle tension, headaches, insomnia, and a weaker immune system, making us more vulnerable to viral infections. Emotionally, it can uh, lead to extreme mood swings, irritability, a lack of motivation, and feelings of being overwhelmed. And behaviorally, it can lead to isolation, smoking, excessive drinking, pacing, uh, clenching your jaw and grinding your teeth. Now obviously none of those things are good, so wouldn't it be great if we could all just stop worrying? Wouldn't it be great if just like turning off the TV, somehow we could uh, press a button somewhere in the remote of our minds and all of a sudden when worry starts to bother us, it's gone? Or wouldn't it be uh, great if we could just listen to a catchy tune like Don't Worry, Be Happy and all of a sudden, poof, all of our worries are gone forever. Well, you know as well as I do that it's just not that easy. And yet anxiety and stress continue um, to be a huge problem in culture, in people's lives. And so what do people do? They recommend certain stress relievers. Perhaps you've heard of some of these. Ways to um, relieve your stress and your anxiety. Uh, listen to soothing music, engage in deep breathing, get a massage, <laughs> go for a walk, 
stop to smell the roses, exercise regularly, and dancing. Now, if reducing my stress level depended on dancing, <laughs> I would be in big trouble because I cannot dance. Uh, for me to go out on a dance floor and start to move my body, that's super awkward for me, right? It's super awkward, especially for those who are watching me. And so uh, my wife and I have been married for 32 years. Uh, we had the privilege of raising three amazing young ladies. We got to marry them all off to godly men. And I got to do the daddy-daughter dance at all three of my daughter's weddings. Uh, it was painful. Um, I remember dancing with my daughter, Megan. Beautiful memories, but still painful. Uh, I remember dancing with my daughter, Megan. And after the daddy-daughter uh, daddy dance was over, somebody actually walked up to me and said this. They said, you know what? You're a better preacher than a dancer. <laughs> I was like, you know, but I didn't get offended. I just laughed. Why? Because I know it's painful to watch me dance. It's kind of like, you know, looking at a wounded animal trying to walk. It's just doesn't work, but I do like to dance a little bit when I'm worshiping, you know, and someday when we get to heaven, ladies and gentlemen, man, if you don't dance now like me, we are gonna be dancing in heaven forever and ever, worshiping the Lord. Now, getting back to those stress relievers, do they really work? Yeah, temporarily, but my question is, what happens when the soothing song is over? What happens when the massage is complete? What happens when the scent of the flowers fade? What happens when the dance is over? What happens is that anxiety and stress so often returns. Now, I'm not preaching against all stress relievers. I think some of them are great, and I think some of them will absolutely help us, listen to this word, temporarily. But right now, if you're listening, can you say amen? amen. As I set up the message, all the stress relievers in the world will not come close to giving us what God promises to give his children in our text today. None of them will even come close. So I really hope you'll hear today with Dumbo ears. A feel good song like, you know, don't worry, be happy. That may relieve our anxiety just for a little while, but what God offers us today, listen, is way more substantive and way more enduring. Why? Because what he offers has to do with the long-lasting well-being of our souls. The long-lasting well-being of our souls in the context of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is where it's at. That's what uh, verses four through seven are all about. Now, before we get to verse, verses four through seven, we gotta deal with a dispute in the church in verses two and three. And before we deal with the dispute in the church, I really want everybody to receive the encouragement that Paul gives us uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse one. So right now, if you're looking at Philippians chapter four, verse one, can you say amen? amen. So I know you're there. All right, so check this out. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. I love the New Living Translation and how it renders verse one. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and I long to see you, dear friends, for you 
are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. And so because the Apostle Paul planted the church of Philippi, because he had invested so much in these people's lives, he considered them his joy and his crown. He was so proud of them. Moms and dads, tell your kids how proud you are of them. Encourage them and build them up. Paul was um, so proud of his spiritual kids, so to speak, in Christ in the church of Philippi. And what was his exhortation to them? His exhortation, I have it underlined, stay true to the Lord. And that leads us to our first point taken from verse one. If you're taking notes, our glorious future in heaven should motivate us to stay true to the Lord on the earth. Our glorious future in heaven should motivate us to stay true to the Lord on the earth. Now, you say, all right, so you took that application point out of verse one, but pastor, I'm having a hard time. I don't see the word heaven in verse one. Well, it's true. The word heaven is not in verse one, but we do see the word therefore in verse one. And as I've taught you before, whenever you see the word therefore, you gotta ask what it's there for. And it's there in order to link what Paul previously said to what he's saying now in verse one. How many of you guys know there were no chapter or verse divisions in the original letter, right? This is just a letter from an apostle to a local church. And so you gotta back up to find out what therefore is therefore. So let's back up to chapter three, verse 20. He says, but our citizenship, chapter three, verse 20, our citizenship is in where? Heaven, there it is. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, not maybe, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And so get the flow as the Holy Spirit, right, is moving the Apostle Paul along as he's writing out the graphe, the scriptures, right? He says, therefore, right, uh, because... Um, our citizenship is in heaven from which we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, chapter three, verse 20. And therefore, you know, since he's coming back and when he comes back, he's gonna transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Therefore, chapter four, verse one, I want you Philippians, and he would say if he was here today, Paul would say, I want you Port St. Lucie people to stand firm in the Lord, to stay true to the Lord. What's the point? The point is, allow your glorious future in heaven to motivate you to stay true to the Lord on earth in this fallen world, because here's what we know. We're gonna be there a lot longer than we're here. We're gonna spend a lot more time on the new earth than we're spending in this fallen world. We're gonna enjoy our new, is anybody looking forward to a resurrected body? Right, So we're gonna absolutely enjoy our new immortal resurrected bodies a whole lot longer than we have to endure our falling bod fallen bodies in this life. So what we're saying here is let your future state motivate your present state and just stay true to the Lord. Not as a way to earn a spot up in heaven. Can we please be done with the legalistic religious thinking? 
It's not to try to earn your way to heaven. It is evidence, not earn. The reason last week we, we run hard for the Lord, the reason this week we stay true to the Lord is because we wanna show evidence and the Lord is showing evidence that we belong to the Father by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And yes, I had to get it in this weekend. Because here's what I know. I had somebody actually come up to me last night and they said, Pastor, I've been asking people in this local church, how do you get to heaven? And I had three people tell me, you gotta keep the 10 commandments. And I'm like, what? Here? How many times am I saying this every single week? Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, say amen. amen. Let the veil be lifted off of you. The law was given, 10 commandments, the law, the law of Moses, it was given not as a way that we work our way to heaven. It was given so that we can see our sin and see our need for a savior. And that's why Jesus came, new covenant, to pay for our failures and our sins by bleeding on the cross to wash our sins away. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the good works follow as evidence that we've been born again. Please, please understand the gospel. Man, that's so heavy on my heart. And Paul now switches gears to deal with the dispute in the church. All right, look at verse two. He says, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Sintity to agree in the Lord. Can you imagine these two gals sitting in the church of Philippi when the elder reads Paul's letter to the church? They are, as I said about a month ago, sinking down in their seats right now. Verse three, yes, I ask you also, true companion. This is no doubt a leader in the church of Philippi, probably an elder. I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names, I love this, are written in the book of life. Okay, so in the church of Philippi, there were two women and these two women used to be co-laborers with the Apostle Paul, probably in planting the church of Philippi. If you remember back in our study of Acts, Paul goes to Philippi for the first time. There's some women, um, Jewish women, down by the river on the Sabbath. They're praying. So this is probably one of those or two of those women um, that Paul met way back in those days. And what did these two women do years later? Listen to this. They allowed a dispute to divide them. And so why does Paul call them out? Well, no doubt they allowed their dispute to go public. And it got ugly. And it began to negatively affect the church. And that leads you to your next point. If you're taking notes, Euodia and Sintichi should have focused more on their identity than on their ire. The word ire if you're not familiar with it, means anger. So they should have focused more on their identity than on their anger, right? What happens inside of us when somebody offends us? Well, because we're human beings, here's what begins to happen. Our blood starts to boil. Anybody ever been there and felt that? Oh, just two of you, real <laughs> honest people. The rest of you are too spiritual, right, to feel anger? No. 
Somebody offends us, we get mad. The blood starts to boil, the anger rises, the ire inside of us. And that's what, happens with, what happened with these two gals. They got angry with each other, it led to an ugly division. And so what was the result of that? I don't know, but probably they were sitting on two different sides of the room in the church of Philippi. Probably they're exiting out of different doors. Probably they unfriended each other on Facebook. Right, probably they're avoiding each other at Publix. You know, there's Euodia and her husband. Sintuchi, aisle three, let's go this way, right? <laughs> right, and all this pettiness between these two women, what is it doing? It's negatively affecting their witness for Jesus Christ. Is it worth it? And also, depending on how public it got, it's probably negatively affecting the witness of the church in its community. And so again, it's not worth it. How does Paul respond? He asks a leader in the church, again, probably an elder, true companion, to help these women get along. What does Paul specifically say? Um, in verse two, and if you have the ESV, he says, agree, and I want you to hear the next three words, in the Lord. Now, I like the, King, the New King James uh, better on this verse. Quote, be of the same mind in the Lord. And New American Standard is great as well. Live in harmony in the Lord. In other words, don't miss this. Paul is not asking these two ladies to see eye to eye perfectly on whatever they're dis disagreeing about. It's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, hey, Euodius, and hey, Sintichi, here's what you need to do. You need to remember your identity in the Lord. And then you let your identity motivate you to adopt a mindset of unity and harmony no matter what you're disagreeing about. Does that make sense to you guys? Because listen, there's gonna be people who offend you in this church. You're gonna get your feelings hurt in this church. You're gonna disagree with a brother or sister in this church. And so what do you have to do? You don't have to see eye to eye perfectly on that area of disagreement. That's not what God is asking us to do. What is God asking us to do? Remember your identity in Christ. And then let your identity in Christ motivate you and I to treat each other with love and deference and humility. And so there's gonna be lots of things that we as Christians disagree about and when that happens, we have a choice. We can get all upset and we can get all offended and we can start avoiding each other or we can die to our carnality and we can walk in the spirit and we can agree to disagree agreeably and remember our identity and let that identity motivate us to have a mindset of unity and harmony. Man, what would happen if the church lived like that? I think we'd be a bright light for the community. And so, um, I want you to never forget this. That fellow believer that you have a disagreement with, both of your names are written in the book of life, end of verse three. Both of your names are written in that registry that lists the names of the citizens of heaven. So whether we like it or not, we're gonna spend a lot of time together in heaven. So we may as well learn to get along now because we're gonna spend so much time together later. All right, so, hey, God's word's practical. 
Look at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Again, I say rejoice. Now, this is why I'm always harping on make sure you have a Bible open before you, even if it's an electronic Bible, because you never know what a preacher's gonna say. And so you guys gotta, gotta have to be Bereans and go back and make sure I'm rightly handling the word of truth. So let's read it correctly. Let's all read it together, verse four, on the count of three. You ready for this? One, two, three, go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Boy, that's powerful. Maybe we could spend four weeks in that verse, <laughs> but I, I won't. Rejoice in the Lord always. What does that mean? In the good times and in the bad times. In other words, when you're under house arrest and you're chained to a Roman soldier, like the Apostle Paul in chapter one, still rejoice in the Lord always. And then two, when you're sick and close to death, like Epaphroditus in chapter two, you should still rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And in chapter three, when um, false teachers are trying to come and undermine your faith, you should still rejoice in the Lord always. Don't listen to them. And again, I say rejoice. And then even when, chapter four, you have a disagreement with a fellow believer, even when it's hard, still rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And so this is so important that we rejoice no matter what we're going through. Now it's right here that I've got to make the distinction between human happiness and divine joy, right? So human happiness, it's great, we love it. But here's the problem, it's based on our circumstances. Human happiness is just a fleeting emotion, right? It comes and it goes depending on what we happen to be experiencing at that moment. But divine joy is different. Divine joy comes from the Lord and it can be counted on. You say, well, how do you know it comes from the Lord? Because Paul said to the Galatians in chapter five of that letter, he said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and what's the second one? Joy. Joy. From the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from the Lord. And so unlike human happiness, divine joy doesn't fluctuate, and that's why Paul could say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, and that leads you now to your next point. Regardless of our circumstances, we should make a choice to rejoice because of who God is and what he has done for us. So, so important. Listen, this is all part of, of growing up in our faith because this is what mature Christians do right here. Immature Christians, they just live by their feelings. and Everybody knows it, right? But mature Christians, they make a choice to rejoice because of who God is and what God has done for us. Listen, we have so much to rejoice about as born again believers, do we not? Just, just think about this. The Father elected us before he created the world. First Peter 1, 2 says we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. If you don't know what that means, go back and listen to my teaching on First Peter 1, 2. But, but listen, as born again Christians, so exciting to just stop when we're going through that difficult 
situation and begin to rehearse our identity and who we are in Christ. And so we have, on the authority of God's word, been um, elected by God the Father before the creation of the world. And not only that, but God the Son, he entered time and space. He added a human nature to his already eternally existing divine nature. And he was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life and he went to to a cross to pay for our sins and he rose again victorious over sin and death. Why? Because he loves you all so much. And not only that, the Holy Spirit, right, in your BC days began to, like the hound of heaven, no disrespect to the Holy Spirit, but how many of you guys are glad that he wooed us and called us and went after us, right? And, and somebody shared the gospel with us. And so what happened when we turned to Christ in repentance and faith, all of a sudden, we were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, adopted as children of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, sealed for the day of redemption, equipped for every good work. I mean, what more do we want? God is good, right? God is amazing. If that's not enough for you, your name, if you know the Lord, is written in the book of life. And not just that, but Jesus Christ, the great carpenter, he knows what you like and what you don't like, and he's up there right now in the New Jerusalem, and he's building a special place just for you to live for all eternity. And if that's not enough for you, one day, man, one day he's gonna come back, either you're gonna take your last breath or he's gonna come back and snatch you up, and he's gonna finish the job of sanctification, he's gonna grant you glorification, you're gonna receive an immortal body, and you're gonna be safe and secure with him forever and ever. I mean, I really could go on and on and on, but this is what mature Christians do. When they're faced with a difficult situation, they don't just start living by their feelings and fleshing out, they stop themselves and they rehearse their identity in Jesus Christ, and guess what happens? They rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That's what we're called to do. He says in verse five, let your reasonableness, Euodia and Syntyche, <laughs> let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I love the fact that Paul was expecting Jesus to come back in his lifetime. I love the fact that all of us should live with the expectancy that he could come at any time. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, we're getting into it now. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, protect your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, I love what Pastor Will said. We wanna be a hospital for the hurting. And I would add to that, not a museum for self-righteous saints. I really want this local church, we're 17 plus years into this, I really want this local church to be known as a hospital for hurting people, where people can come and they can be honest and they can receive help for what they're going through. And if we're all honest, here's what we would have to admit. The last 18 months, some of us got really beat up. The last year and a half, some of you are really dealing with anxiety and stress and worry unlike any time in your life up until this point. And so I really want you to hear the rest of this message as we think about this in biblical terms. 
And so whether you're dealing with anxiety a lot or whether you're dealing with anxiety a little, please remember this right here. God's promise to overcome worry, that if we do our part, he's gonna do his part. So what's our part in verse six? Prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving to the Lord. And then how many of you guys believe God's a promise keeper, not a promise breaker? So he will always do his part, and he will give us his peace. You see that in verse seven. So let's just pump the brakes. Let's think about this. What's our part? Prayer. Okay, prayer speaks of communion with the Lord. I believe usually our prayers need to begin with praise and adoration. I'll explain that in a little while, but I love the fact that we start our gatherings here with praise and adoration. By the way, wasn't that an amazing time of worship today? Right, because we're extolling Jesus Christ, we're lifting him on high, we're thinking about how awesome he is. I think that usually, now sometimes we just gotta throw up a prayer, right? Um, but usually, our prayers should begin with praise and adoration. Again, I'll explain that in a moment. But when Paul talks about prayer here, I don't think he's talking about just a few minutes a day. And so I, if I was to be asked, no, no one's asked me, but hey, I'm up here, and so I'm just gonna tell y'all what I think, okay? I think one of the top three problems in the evangelical church in America is prayerlessness. And because of that, we're weak. And so, I want you to think about this. Who is the bridegroom? The bridegroom is Jesus Christ. Who's the bride? The bride's the church. Okay, so what would happen if I just spent a few minutes a day talking with my wife, Stacy? Even though we've had 32 years of marriage, listen, we'd have a weak marriage. And so what do we do? We still work on our marriage, even though we've been married all this time, and we have dinner together, and we talk. And we go for long walks, and we talk. And we have a Sabbath day, all right? And so our Sabbath day is Monday, and so we hang out usually together all day on Monday, and we talk. And so what does that do? That strengthens our relationship. Listen, if you wanna strengthen your relationship with Jesus Christ, don't just focus on the quality of your prayers, focus on the quantity also. Spend time with him. You say, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. Just start. And talk to him like he's your best friend. Talk to him about everything. And I would encourage you, listen, to make a set time with the Lord every single day and honor him, put him first by making sure that that is the first priority of your day. If you wanna go deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ, focus on quality and quantity. That's prayer, but then now we talk, uh, Paul talks about supplication. What is that? That's making our petitions to the Lord. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you're gonna find. Knock and it's gonna be open to you. For whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds, right? Whoever knocks, it shall be open. And somebody says, does that mean I can ask for whatever I want? Right, all this material stuff so I can indulge my flesh? Well, make sure you interpret the Bible with the Bible. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says this. This is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, 
he hears us. You say, well, how can I know the will of God? It's right here. So become a student of the word of God, and then what happens is that your, your prayers and my prayers uh, start to become more like what we see in this book, and we know if we're praying according to the will of God that he is absolutely, 100% of the time, gonna answer Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Don't forget this one. Don't be a grump in your prayers. Have an attitude of gratitude as you're praying to the Lord. So appreciative, right, of who he is and what he's done for us. And so the next time, right, that you're uh, tempted to worry and get all anxious about something, just stop yourself, get into the Lord's presence, Start with prayer and adoration. Spend some quality and quantity time with the Lord. Make sure you're asking him what what it is you wanna ask according to God's will. And then also have this attitude of gratitude. If we do our part, verse six, bottom of the screen, he's gonna do his part and he is going to give us his peace. All right, so what is his peace? Well, it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. So we don't know fully, right? I can't explain it fully, here's my best shot. Peace is an inner sense of calm that comes from the who, tell me. Welcome Holy Spirit, the forgotten member of the Trinity, but man, he's the remedy for anxiety, I'm telling you. It's an inner sense of calm that comes from the Holy Spirit and gives us great confidence. You say, how do you know it comes from the Holy Spirit? Well, listen to the words of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 26. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. And then the very next verse, Jesus says, peace. Okay, so verse 26, Holy Spirit, Context, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit of God that protects our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. If you're with me right now listening, say amen. We cannot be filled with the peace of the Holy Spirit and be filled with anxiety at the same time. You want a remedy for anxiety? Get into God's presence. And listen, his peace will push the anxiety away. I just experienced this last night. I was troubled um, right before I went to bed about something, I won't tell you what it is. uh, but I, I'm going through this in my mind, and here's what I know. When I'm troubled about something, I have problems sleeping, and all of a sudden, the Lord, oh, he's so good, he just gave me a piece about it, and the next thing you know, 10 minutes later, I'm snoring. God is good, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? Why? That peace gives confidence. That peace gives confidence. Now, as we wrap this up, I wanna tell you a story about Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the king of Judah, he knew what it meant to experience intense Anxiety. So those of you who are students of the Old Testament, you'll remember the story, but in 2 Kings chapters 18, 19, and 20, Assyria was the world power. Now you think, you know, ISIS were bad dudes. The Assyrians made ISIS look like nothing. 
The Assyrians were the world power, I'm talking like 700 BC, and what they would do is this great military force, they would go from nation to nation, conquering nations, taking people into captivity. Conquering nations, taking people into captivity. They're so vicious that they would take some of the men that they defeated and they would impale them on stakes and then lift them up all over the place so that everybody could see you don't mess with the Assyrians. They would, like ISIS, chop off heads and they would stockpile the heads in prominent places so everybody can see you don't mess with the Assyrians. The king's name was Sennacherib, the, one of the generals, Rabshakeh. And after defeating all these nations, including the 10 tribes, so sad, 10 northern tribes of Israel, rebel against the Lord, God has mercy. Rebel against the Lord, repent, God has mercy. Rebel against the Lord, repent, God has mercy. And then it goes on and on, they keep rebelling against the Lord, and finally the Lord sends the Assyrians. How many of you guys know God is sovereign? Sometimes God uses nations to discipline his children. And so the Assyrians came down and took the 10 northern tribes into captivity, and now they're coming down to attack Judah, King Hezekiah, Jerusalem, where the temple is. And so the next thing you know, picture it in your mind, the Assyrian army is surrounding the walled city of Jerusalem. Now in those days, the enemy would cut off the supply lines. So they either you surrender or eventually you're gonna starve to death. And here comes like a peacock, Rabshakeh, one of the generals, and he begins to shout to the Jews on the wall, hey, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He can't deliver you. We got you surrounded. Pretty soon you're gonna be eating and drinking your own waste. Yeah, it's in the Bible. And hey, don't let the Lord, Yahweh, deceive you. He can't deliver you. Were all the gods of the other nations able to deliver those nations from us? What is he doing? He's taunting Hezekiah and he's blaspheming the name of the Lord. And so what was the result? Sennacherib sends a letter to Hezekiah, a threatening letter. How many of you guys, don't raise your hands, ever got a threatening letter? Difficult situation. You're being intimidated by somebody. And I love what Hezekiah does next. Hezekiah takes the letter up to the temple of the Lord and he spreads it out before the Lord, the living God. And what does he do 700 plus years or so um, before Paul even writes Philippians? He begins to pray and he begins to make supplication before the Lord. I want you to just see some of his prayer. O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Now, I want you to Listen, I want you, this is key, 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 key to overcome anxiety. I want you to see he began his prayer with praise and adoration. He said in verse 15, you're the Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim. You're God alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Now, do you think God already knew that? Yes or no? Yes, God already knew that. 
And so as Hezekiah is extolling the Lord, what's happening? As he's thinking about how big God is, now all of a sudden all those threats and problems in the letter, they're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Do you see why it's important that we begin our prayers with praise and adoration? Because as we do that, we become more confident and God answered the prayer. The next thing you know, the angel of the Lord comes down. He wipes out 185,000 Assyrians. And the next thing you know, Sennacherib, the king, is running back to Nineveh with his tail between his legs. And the next thing you know, um, by the way, you should read the Bible. It's kind of exciting sometimes. <laughs> the next thing you know, Sennacherib is in Nineveh and he's bowing before one of his false gods and his own two sons come up behind him and kill him. You think God took care of the problem? I think God took care of the problem. And so when we begin our prayers with adoration and praise, we become more confident, why? Because we begin to see our problems from God's perspective. So, you know, I'm experiencing one of those moments right now where I think some of you guys aren't listening and I want you to get this point. When you begin your prayers with praise and adoration. I, I can't remember what service I say what, but this morning I went right into petitions and I stopped myself. I'm like, I'm preaching this today, what am I doing? And so I turned to the book of Psalms. I hit the rewind button and I started my prayers with praise and adoration and God's peace came because God always gives peace, right? And so, listen, when we do that, we begin to see our problems from God's perspective. Years ago, I went to Seattle on a business trip. I was in my 20s. On our day off, me and some friends took a drive to the Cascade Mountains. Now, for a flat Florida boy, I was in awe. I was in my 20s, I had never seen anything like this in my life. I walk up to the base of one of those mountains, I look up at these mountains towering thousands of feet above my head, and I'm just absolutely amazed, right? But here's the thing. If you're an astronaut in the space shuttle, and you see that same mountain range just a little to the right of the center, from that perspective, they just look like little bumps on the face of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, it's all a matter of perspective. If you wanna have God's perspective about your problems, begin your prayers with praise and adoration. Listen to the word of God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You do your part, God's gonna do his part, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, Will, not maybe, will guard, protect your minds and hearts in Christ Jesus. And the next thing you know, that big, huge problem that you're facing in your life, it kind of looks like the cascades <laughs> as you look at those mountains from space. And all God's people said, Amen. praise the Lord for his word, right? <laughs>